Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and with Biz News Editor-in-Chief, Alec Hag. Now, Alec, this week we had the State of the Nation address, Cyril Ramaphosa standing up and telling us the plans for the next five years, the plans for the next 10 years. And there was a lot, uh, obviously, contained in the speech and there was a lot about, you know, ESCOM and infrastructure and all the rest of it. But one of the things that I found personally very interesting was um, the announcement that they were going to open up some of the spectrum to try and lower data costs. So, you know, South African data providers have long complained that um, the the way that the spectrum has been divided up and uh, the lack of additional spectrum has been a, a major factor in South Africa's really unconscionably high data costs. So to me, this is a this is a very practical and positive thing that government can do quite easily, just, you know, auction off some more of the spectrum and hopefully lower data costs, which could have a knock-on effect through Throughout the economy. Yeah, and for people like us in particular, of course, we'll be cheering it all the way. But just, just by way of a little bit of background, Stella Ndabeni Abrams, the uh, communications minister, is a bit of a rising star in the ANC. I know she's had some bad press, but she's, she's one, certainly one of the president's favorites. At the uh, South African dinner in Davos in January, she was the master of ceremonies. Now, that's an unusual position or unusual uh, to have someone as young and as inexperienced relatively because she'd only just been appointed to the cabinet um, to A, be taken to Davos as a a part of the uh, government delegation, then B, to be given such a high-profile position. But you can see that she's marked, earmarked for big things. And not surprisingly, she's uh, she's a listener, she's a learner, and very smart. Anyway, no doubt that the president has put somebody he can fully trust to do something which is critically important. And, and I think this is where you've just got to see the, the, the benefits of having a Ramaphosa in the presidency rather than his predecessor, who really didn't have a clue when it came to Fourth Industrial Revolution, whereas Cyril actually absorbs and understands exactly what it means and what is required to make it happen. And more than anything else, it's it's to make sure that you have internet, you have broadband, and you have it as cheap as possible. In South Africa, historically, uh, the government has controlled broadband quite uh, tightly, and a lot of people won't, or, or spectrum rather, quite tightly, and people won't really uh, understand this until you, you start unpacking how the information flow used to be managed in the past. Whereas, if you recall, it was only perhaps 10 years before uh, the end of the apartheid government that you got competition coming into the broadcasting market through MNET and uh, 702, which was then using a, a back route channel uh, through uh, the Puritswana homeland. And it was also a capital radio. But up until then, the spectrum was all owned by the SABC, the national broadcaster, the propaganda machine. And that has been, is a, is a very difficult thing for a government to take its hands off. They love to be able to push out the, the narrative. It's a, the, the apartheid government had complete dominance over the news uh, that was going out except of, excepting the newspapers, but all other news, they never allowed anybody else in. And that spectrum, if you look at the SABC and look at their radio stations and the massive amount of the spectrum that is taken up there, for instance, and the reluctance to digitize that area, it all goes hand in hand with what we're now seeing with the liberalization of it. So with the spectrum being freed up and with uh, the, the the data uh, being made more plentiful, 
you're also going to get a massive change when it comes to the digitization of of media and communications. So it's, these are big, big steps. And unless you look at them holistically, you you don't really get uh, how seismic the shifts are from where we've come from. It's very good news indeed. And it's going to happen in the next month. She's going to be uh, announcing, uh, Stella and Dabeni Abrams uh, is going to be announcing the uh, the auctions and the bids. And, well, let's see more competition and let's see Data must fall. Data must fall indeed. You know, I often talk to my mom about her data problem because she spends so much money every month and she has still a capped amount of data and a limited amount of data. So I'm very excited to hear that she might be getting a better deal and that all South Africans might be getting a better deal. Now, I wanted to change gears a little here and talk about some – there was a lot of news out, uh, stock market-related news out. This week we saw the – News out of Steinhoff, there's a 1.2 billion euro loss, um, and there's some concerns about whether it can continue as a going concern, which is obviously very scary for shareholders. We saw continuing developments in the story of Tongart, and you had a very uh, interesting chat with um, Alan Gray's Duncan Artis, uh, touching on a lot of these themes and especially talking um, talking a bit about Nasparis, Tongart, and interestingly enough, multi-choice. Mm, the success stories and the absolute dogs. Well, in both Steinhoff and Tongart's uh, instances, they're now owned by the banks. You can you can cut and dice and slice it any way you want to, but if the banks were to pull their facilities, there would be no more Tongart and Steinhoff. And so the banks are now trying to really negotiate their way out of both of those businesses and lose as little as possible. When it comes to NASPERS, uh, which is one of the Alan Gray um, team's favorites, has been for a while, and its recent spin-off, multi-choice, I was fascinated to hear from Duncan, who's the director at Alan Gray, that they have been jumping into multi-choice boots and all after it was unbundled from Naspers. And he explained it this way. He said that most of the investors in Naspers are not investing for the underlying assets and the cash generators like multi-choice. They were investing for Tencent. And it's not surprising me because if you take Naspers' shareholding in Tencent, it's 31% is worth 140% of the current NASPERS share price. What that means is that if you want to buy Tencent, you can buy it through NASPERS and get it at a massive discount, effectively. Um, that's uh, So international investors have done it that way. South African, in, uh, South African investors, on the other hand, do know multi-choice. So what happened in the case with NASPERS when it unbundled multi-choice, you got all these international investors who were suddenly left with a pay TV uh, investment in a pay TV station, and they sold it for whatever. You know, dump it on the market. It means nothing compared with their nice best shareholding. And that's where Alan Gray picked up a lot of shares. Duncan says they are now the second biggest shareholder, and they bought them around 90 to 100 rand a share as the international guys were dumping. And the stock price is now 130 rand a share. So good luck to them. I asked him whether he would be, if he hadn't uh, bought in earlier, if they would be buying. Now, he said, well, he still sees value. Otherwise, they'd obviously sell, sell the shares. But he said it's it's getting to the point at multi-choice where now the debate is a real one where you have to consider if Netflix and uh, and other competitors are going to be eating part of multi-choice's lunch or not, or whether multi-choice can continue to expand in uh, parts of Africa where now it has more subscribers than in South Africa. So it's it's just a lovely example of opportunities that do exist when you are uh, better informed than those who either are ignorant or don't care so much. And in that case, 
Alan Gray did its homework, was well-informed on multi-choice, and has made 30% return in double-quick time. Yeah, very interesting. And certainly, as you say, multi-choice is a, a kind of a unusual pick and uh, a very good and rational case for choosing it. And it just really makes you think about um, what you're looking at the stock market with fresh eyes there. Now, uh, something that looked like a good pick a while ago, but has turned out to be almost as much of a dog or as much of a dog, I guess, as, as Tongat is exotic game. Now, this is a, a market where, you know, uh, the, the wealthy will come in and, uh, you know, maybe hunt your exotic game and maybe there's a lot of money in that. But uh, this is t- completely collapsed. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Well, one of the best interviews we've had in a while was with Bernard Swanepoel uh, on this subject uh, on Rational Radio on Thursday night. And the reason for this, I've known Bernard, uh, we, 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 we pals and we've been pals for a long time. And he has a family, their family has a place up in Limpopo where his brother has been breeding exotic game. And Bernard has been calling the top of this market, of this bubble, for literally years and years now. He's been saying, it is impossible, you cannot justify paying 20, 40, 60 million rand for a buffalo. Because the value of the buffalo is only in A, the meat, which obviously is not a, not, not a whole lot, uh, or B, what someone is prepared to pay to to shoot it. And that's the reality of it, is that these the exotic game is being bred not for eating, but for hunters. And the hunters also have a limit to what they're prepared to pay. For a, uh, he, he explained that for a, uh, a buffalo with extremely large horns, uh, a hunter was prepared to pay this year a million rand still um, to go and hunt it. But on, uh, in general terms, it's more like 20,000 rand to hunt a buffalo. And people were paying these huge prices for them on the Greater fool theory, and don't we just know that in investment markets, uh, started off with the tulip mania in Holland, what three four hundred years ago, and it continues every now and then. You have a greater fool theory, and this is what happened in South Africa with exotic games. So you'd find, uh, uh, for instance, uh, a, 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 an impala that was born black rather than its normal color would. In, by, in some people's minds, be worth a multiple of what a normal impala is because to shoot an impala, you, you're essentially paying what you pay for the meat, which is probably 30 kilograms, a thousand rand. That's what it would cost usually to shoot an impala. Um, however, in this case, because it was a, a, a black impala, somebody would be valuing it at a hundred thousand rand because they feel that some hunter somewhere will come and shoot this exotic, um, uh, buck. It, it, it's all just insanity, and it was shown to be that with a market where they, they used to have these auctions. Actually, I uh, saw Magnus Haystick earlier in the week. He said one of his ex-clients uh, was in this game of auctioning off exotic game, and he, he and his wife went along – Magnus and his wife went along to one of these auctions. He said you cannot believe what it, what it was like when he drove towards the uh, place where the auction was being held. There was a small airfield. He said there must have been 40 airplanes that had flown in for the auction. And then as he got a little bit further, uh, he th- there were hundreds of cars, he said, exotic or, or, or top-end 4x4s and so on, that were in the parking lot. And when he got in there, it was like a circus atmosphere with APSA and NetBank having their tents. And, and, and what would happen is that these guys would go in and bid on the exotic game. When they saw they didn't have enough, they'd run back to the apps or the Nedbank tent and get additional finance. 
So you'd be these people would be spending millions and millions of rands, which they probably didn't have, uh, funding it. Well, obviously they didn't have it because they they got the funding from the banks, and those what was worth a million rand is now worth five thousand rand. It's a ninety five percent collapse pretty much across the board in exotic game. Some people are saying that, uh, or Bernard uh, uh, Swanepoel relates that some are saying yes, but you know at the top end the twenty thirty million rand buffaloes are owned by very wealthy people, and so they they don't really mind um, if the if the value is not twenty million anymore. Yes, but the truth is buffaloes die. It's not like buying a piece of art that's there for the rest of your life. Um, a buffalo has got a very limited time span, as has every other animal. So it's only really worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it. And now the only people who are prepared to pay for it after the collapse in the market are hunters. And that's a very different market to the one that the greater fool theory has has uh, reflected. So I guess, once again, it's just a reflection that human beings get carried away. Mr. Market gets completely excessive. And eventually everything does come down to earth. But uh, you know, lots of people being hurt in the process, sadly. that's all we have time for thanks for joining us and remember if you'd like to read a transcript of this interview there will be one up in biznews.com in the in the premium section you can sign up for premium for five pounds a month and that's going to give you access to our content and to the full digital archives and news of the wall street journalists